a miracle, a crowd, and a message. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Welcome to this episode of Bible Glitter and Glue. Mary, we are going on a journey in the book of Acts. First of many journeys, because in the book of Acts, there's a shift that takes place from the main character being Peter to the main character being Paul. And Paul is going to be going on several journeys, and we're going to have a conversation about these journeys. If you're listening today, maybe you're preparing for a class you're about to teach, or maybe you just want to learn a little bit more about the Bible. We're just so happy you're here. And as David and I go through this story from the book of Acts, we hope you get something out of it and that you'll feel uplifted. So we find Paul in Antioch, and this city of Antioch has this great church, the Antioch Church. It's a church that really cares about people, all people, Jews and Gentiles. This church is sharing the message with the people of Antioch, but also during a time of worship, they receive a message from God. Well, from the Spirit is actually what the Scripture says, to send Paul and Barnabas out from Antioch to share the message of Christ. And I think that's the journey you're talking about, David. Yeah, this is it. The gospel has been moving further and further away from Jerusalem, and it's in Antioch, and now it's even going to take this great step forward out into the Gentile world. When the church laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul, they sent them out on this journey. That background was in Acts 13, right, where they sent them out. But they send them out and they go to a number of places on that journey. But we're going to be talking about one particular place today. So this journey begins by the Spirit telling them to set apart Barnabas and Saul, and the journey will be led by the Spirit as well. And on this journey, this is not part of the story, but it's something I think we need to note is that two things happen here. Up until this point, the mission is Barnabas and Saul, but early in this journey, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Saul's name becomes Paul, and from now on in the book of Acts, he will be known as Paul, and he will be also the leader of this mission, will be Paul and Barnabas. So it's not a new name, right? These are names that he's had already, but Saul is his Jewish name, and then Paul is his Greek name. But as he goes and works with Gentiles and goes further afield, that seems appropriate that he becomes more known as Paul. They're traveling, and every place they stop, they spend some time preaching and making disciples and, and leaving behind a small group of followers of King Jesus. But not everybody's happy with that. Everywhere they go, they seem to be kicked out of town. And so we come to Lystra, which our story begins in chapter 14 and verse 8 and goes through verse 23. And Mary, why don't we read this story? So Mary, I'll start out. In Lystra, there sat a man who had been born crippled. He had never walked. This man was listening to Paul speak. Paul looked straight at him and saw that the man believed God could heal him. So he cried out, stand up on your feet. The man jumped up, 
and began walking around. When the crowd saw what Paul did, they shouted in their own Lacanian language. They said, The gods have become like men. They have come down to us. And the people began to call Barnabas Zeus. They called Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. The temple of Zeus was near the city. The priest of this temple brought some bulls and flowers to the city gates. The priest and the people wanted to offer a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul understood what they were about to do, they tore their clothes in anger. Then they ran in among the people and shouted, Men, why are you doing these things? We're only men, human beings like you. We're bringing you the good news. We are telling you to turn away from these worthless things and turn to the true living God. He is the one who made the sky, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. In the past, God let all the nations do what they wanted, yet he did things to prove he is real. He shows kindness to you. He gives you rain from heaven and crops at the right times. He gives you food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they were barely able to keep the crowd from offering sacrifices to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They persuaded the people to turn against Paul. And so they threw stones at Paul and dragged him out of town. They thought that they had killed him. But the followers gathered around him, and he got up and went back into the town. The next day, he and Barnabas left and went to the city of Derbe. Paul and Barnabas told the good news in Derby, and many became followers. Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. In those cities, they made the followers of Jesus stronger. They helped them to stay in the faith. They said, We must suffer many things to enter God's kingdom. They chose elders for each church, by praying and giving up eating. These elders were men who had trusted the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas put them in the Lord's care. Said, well, Paul begins his journey, and he has to deal with a lot already. Lystra was in the region of Lacanaya. Paul's normal custom when he enters a new city to first go to the synagogue, but there's nothing mentioned here, so we assume there's no synagogue. This is just a pagan city. They come across a man who is crippled. He's listening to Paul. Paul is looking at him, and he wants to believe. He says he does believe that God could heal him. So Paul just speak, stand up on your feet. And the man does, and he begins walking around. That's a great start in this city. You know that's going to get people's attention. And it does. People notice that. People come to Paul and Barnabas. And at first, what might just seem like being impressed changes into actual worship. Why would that occur to people to start worshiping Paul and Barnabas? Well, they assume they were gods that come down in person because they, it says what in verse 12, they said the gods have become like me and they've come down to us. And they just call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. 
I mean, these are superstitious people. They're amazed at this healing. They can see that. And so they're interpreting it from their own pagan background. Zeus, of course, was the head of the pantheon of Greek gods. And then Hermes was the spokesperson for the gods. And Hermes, or the messenger of the gods, and Hermes is normally pictured as having wings on his ankles. He's quick. He's fast. And so he's the spokesperson. So that's why they call Paul Hermes. Paul was doing most of the talking. There's an interesting story that could help us understand the background, what's going on. There's a Roman poet named Ovid who wrote a poem called Metamorphosis. And in this poem, he talks about something that happened in the history of Lystra. Their story goes that Zeus and Hermes did visit this city, and they tried to visit 1,000 homes, but nobody would offer them hospitality except this one old couple. This couple was spared when Zeus and Hermes flooded the valley, killing everyone. That may be in the crowd's mind, so they don't want to make the same mistake again. So they went overboard and wanted to worship and offer sacrifices. Sometimes miracles in the book of Acts resulted in people praising God. But in this case, this was not just praise. This was not praising the true God at all. This was pagan worship. This was worshiping the gods. When Paul and Barnabas saw this, they recognized this feverish crowd and what was happening. They saw all the offerings and the shouting, and they realized, oh, They are worshiping as if we are God. So they needed to set that straight. And Paul does calm them down enough to preach. And he does preach a sermon. It's a different kind of sermon that you might find that he would preach maybe at a synagogue or to Jewish believers. Yes, this sermon is the kind of sermon Paul would preach to pagans. He doesn't quote the Old Testament, but he does talk about God, who God is. The focus is on the true and living God. So he's drawing, of course, from the Old Testament, what the Old Testament affirms about God. This is what he says to them. He says, you need to turn away from these worthless things, these idols, and turn to the the true and living God. And he calls this God the creator of everything. And this God who has created everything has demonstrated his reality by blessing them. And that's what he wants this crowd to see, that God has been kind to them by giving them rain at the right time so they can have crops to grow and from that gain joy and life. And he said, that's all God. And so he's trying to turn them toward God. Well, it's a great sermon. The points were great, but the crowd was still so feverish. They could see they were still wanting to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. This was a mess. A crowd can start building. You may start with a few people, but then the fervor grows. And in this case, emotions were running high and the sacrifice idea. This was a hot group. And all it needs is somebody else to come in and cause more problems. And here's what happens. In verse 19, When all this commotion was going on, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they turned the crowd against Paul. Now, this wasn't like to be confused with the Antioch where Paul and Barnabas started their journey. In our conversation, we 
first started talking about, the Antioch Church. It's not that Antioch. It's a different Antioch. And it was a town that Paul and Barnabas had been through preaching. They had preached in that Antioch and got some people angry. In Iconium, other people angry. So those people have come over and they're going to start putting in a bad word for Paul and Barnabas in this hot crowd. So they turned the crowd against Paul so much that they threw stones at Paul. And then they dragged him out of town and left him for dead. They thought he was dead. It says in verse 20, but the followers gathered around him and possibly they came out thinking they would have to bury him. But it says he got up and he goes back into the city, has a night's sleep, and then he and Barnabas leave the next day and go the hundred kilometers to the city of Derby. This is what makes these two such good missionaries. They're knocked down, but not out. (laughs) In reading these verses where it says the followers came out to Paul, I'm thinking about those followers. They're living in a place where there's idol worship, where people are worshiping gods. The crowds are gathering is so willing to believe things that are not true and then so willing to take out their anger on Paul. They're living in this very difficult place. Good on them for going out where Paul was and trying to take care of him, like you said, thinking maybe we'll be burying him today, but looks like they took care of him. I think this is, in its own way, a great place. These followers had to be really dedicated in this place. Yes, and also brave as well to go out and rescue and take care of Paul and Barnabas. I mean, it's already happened on this trip. It's already happened earlier in Paul's life, but we'll see as we continue on these journeys with Paul That trouble will follow him all the time. He will suffer much. And he was told when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that he will suffer many things. And Paul kept going. And we're sitting here today talking about this because Paul kept going. Well, that's right. And you talked about those followers being brave. Paul was a great example to them because after this, in the verses I read earlier, Paul goes on to Derby and preaches He circles back to these places he had been, places where he'd been kicked out, places where people got angry. He knew there were angry people there, but he also knew about the followers, and he was very concerned about them. As he circled back and revisited a lot of these cities, he went back and he really helped those followers. He helped strengthen them. He appointed elders so that they would have some leadership among them and that they would have every chance to remain strong in these difficult places. I think that's wonderful. Yes. Well, that's necessary. One of the things we need to understand about Paul and his travels and his mission in planting churches, part of his mission in planting churches is not just making followers, but strengthening them and putting into place leadership in these churches so that the churches can continue to grow and to endure and to be lights in their community so they can continue to share the good news about Jesus. Well, David, as we've looked at this, all of this is contained in what's often called Paul's first missionary journey. After this, he and Barnabas return back to that original Antioch church to report. But as you're reading through this and you're going to be teaching adults, what kind of things would you do in an adult class to help 
students understand and find application in this story? Well, I have several things to offer today to those who are teaching in an adult situation. Even though in our podcast today, we only covered a part of this first journey of Paul, I would suggest that you read all of chapter 13 and 14, because that is Paul's first journey. And of course, the best way to do this in a class, I believe, is to divide it up into sections and have different people read different parts of these two chapters. And you can do it in different ways, and you can use your own creativity in doing it the best way. Another thing that helps me is to look at a map, because on this first journey, he goes to a lot of places. He doesn't just go to Lystra. That's the focus of our discussion, our conversation today. But he goes to a lot of places, and so it's good to see his travels on a map. There is a good website that you might want to look at. It will be in the show notes. It's Viz Bible. And one good thing about this series of maps is that it has all the journeys, all four journeys of Paul. There's three mission journeys in his journey to Rome. And you can look at them singly by themselves, or you can actually layer them. And just gives you a better understanding of Paul and his travels and where he went. Now, that's really good, David. I'm going to have to look that one up. I think it could possibly be good for kids, too, or is it more of an adult? I think it'd be good for kids, too. And then something a little bit different is ask a few people to calculate how many kilometers or how many miles did Paul and Barnabas travel on this first journey. Get a map and look at where he went. You can find out the miles or kilometers between each place and find out how how far it was. What's the average travel time on foot between these cities? If you're walking from one city to the next, what's the average travel time? And remember, Paul is just not traveling by himself. He's traveling with at least one or two others, a few others, plus supplies. Yeah, look at the distance and just look at the time it would take to do all of this. And so we tend to think that these journeys are brief and short and done rather quickly, but actually they're long and drawn out. So you really have to be committed to the mission to complete it. The last one is questions. And I think here's some questions you can ask um, as a teacher in the class. Here's some questions that I think would be good for a discussion. Question one is, what can we learn about God from this story? Since Paul talks about God, what can we learn about him? In question two, what can we learn about how to tell others about God or the good news? And how can we do that? Not only not how we can do that, but how we can approach it when we're in different contexts, looking at different people. Because Paul didn't say the same thing everywhere he went. So what can we learn about the audience and how we should approach the audience in telling the good news? And then the last couple of questions is, why is strengthening churches and forming leadership important to Paul's purpose in planting churches? And what can we learn from this for our churches today? So those are a few things to think about and maybe to incorporate in your teaching in your class. So Mary, I am sure you have plenty of things that you want to talk about to children to help them to understand the story and to appreciate it, and to remember it. Well, I'm just thinking of teachers listening to this podcast, and if you're going to be teaching this, if you're like me, you you might consider this part of a series. You might actually be wanting to talk about Paul's journey and talk about a few of the different places he visited. So if you're 
teaching in that way, if I was doing that, I would want to have possibly, like you, David, but a, a map in the room. Maybe I'd be a little bit more tactile and print that out or have the children make salt dough relief maps. Those are still really good. Kids love to do that. That would be fun. Yeah, but the map thing is really good because it does give a visual. It does give this idea because there's walking, but they would have to be in ships for some of this. They'd have to cross water. So it's an interesting thing to trace this out on a map, and, and kids do like that. But if you're just teaching this one lesson, this is great. Talking about Lystra, still finding that on a map is still worthwhile. There's a lot of background here, and depending on your group and their ages, you might talk a little bit about what it was to worship gods, that Paul was going into a place where people didn't even know about the true God, and they thought that they could worship these what they thought were gods, and they didn't understand the true God. So maybe talk a little bit about that, what it's like for people to worship idols and think that they're the most important instead of believing God is the most important. I think talking through that could be helpful. Another thing I notice in this lesson, and I think about the children I know, friend groups and who they're with matter a whole lot. And sometimes children find it hard to be in a group that's doing one thing. They find it hard to stand up and do the right thing. I think it might be worth talking about that. Here was a crowd, and people were just getting more and more excited, but more and more wrong. And then there were a few people that came in, and they started stirring things up and saying some lies and saying some wrong things. It just was all bad. It just got everybody all angry. I want my children to know that who you hang out with, who you are with, really matters. And sometimes the people you hang out with can push you to do things you didn't really want to do and that you know are wrong. So I'd want to talk about that with children. Sometimes I do things like either Jenga blocks or even playing cards. I like to make stacks of things, a tower or whatever, and then talk about how each part is important. And if one of those parts at the bottom stirs up and causes trouble, what happens to the rest of the tower? It can make everything fall. And so it's making sure we're with people where everyone's trying to do good. That sounds great. I do want children to understand that. I do want children to be godly, but also choose friends that will help them be godly and that they can have influence over. I think that's a really important lesson for life. It's just one of the many things in this passage, certainly not the only, because, wow, there's so much. But I think I might just leave it with that today, David, just this idea of having good, godly friends that will help us be good. And may God bless you as you speak into the lives of adults and children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's word with children. 